Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then you guys can be seated after that. Lord, we thank you again for Christ, God. We, um, uh, there, there is certainly a more heightened sense of Christ coming in the month of December, and we give you praise and glory, Lord, that this world seems to want to celebrate something. And, uh, and that very thing, God, that, that has happened is that Christ became a man 2,000 years ago. And, and Lord, the, the world can't help but to respond to that. And so thank you that we can respond to that because of your Holy Spirit. We can respond to that in faith. And Lord, as we go into a time of worship by opening your word, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to understand it because apart from your Holy Spirit, Lord, we, we can understand it. And, uh, and God, help us to see Christ more clearly, help us to be conformed more into the image of Jesus Christ, Lord. Help us to be doers of the word, not just hearers only. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You guys may be seated. I love singing, um, I love singing that hymn because it reminds me every time I sing it of the way that we should be reading our Bibles, uh, uh, particularly the way that we should be reading the Old Testament, which is, uh, that we should be seeing uh, that Jesus, uh, when he came in his incarnation, uh, was, was the fulfillment of all of those Old Testament stories, all of those Old Testament prophecies uh, about this long-awaited for Messiah. And, uh, and so we come here as a result of that. We were saved because uh, many years ago, uh, Jesus added to his deity humanity. Right? He's always been God. He's eternally God. We're going to look at that some more on our Christmas Eve service. But uh, the significance of Christmas is that uh, Jesus became a man. And, uh, and because he became a man, because he became like us, because he became more human than us, uh, he, had, um, he submitted himself to the will of the Father, took our sins upon himself, took our sins to that cross, died a death that we deserved so that we could be reconciled, and we know that the Father accepted that, um, that sacrifice because Christ Jesus bodily and eternally resurrected from the dead. And so what we're celebrating and what we're singing about in these Christmas hymns is significant. Amen? Now turn with me to First Timothy chapter 3. Because this morning we're going to look at verses 8 to 13. Again, we've been going through this for the last few months, and we're looking uh, at a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to Pastor Timothy, uh, who was a pastor at, at Ephesus, along with the other elders of that church. And we are in a section that is addressing the public worship of God, and the expectation is that this letter would have been read uh, in the company of uh, the gathered Ephesus uh, church. And last week we looked at character qualifications of an elder, and this week we're looking at character qualifications uh, of a deacon. And, um, and we're going to see some overlap between last week and this week, and I'm not going to spend too much time on the areas where there is overlap, uh, but there uh, is for us something here as we're looking at the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God. And so we need to look at it. We need to pray for the Lord to, to help us to see what it is that we need to see as we, see, as we uh, examine this text and walk away by God's grace changed. And so I'm going to read verses 8 to 13. And then we'll just uh, jump right in. 
the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, he, he wrote these words. He says, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. Verse 9, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Verse 11, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Verse 12, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So when we're approaching uh, this passage and we see this word deacon, naturally the first question we should be asking is what is a deacon, right? What, what does the scripture mean when it uses that word uh, deacon? And in reality, we're more familiar with that word, even in the broader culture is more familiar that, than the, with that word than uh, they realize. Uh, but the word itself, deacon, uh, if, if you haven't been around church life, may be something that, that's new to you. But the Greek word for deacon, which is diakonos, is both a masculine and a feminine uh, word. And in our text, the First Timothy 3 text this morning, it's speaking to a particular office in the church. But one of the things that I want us to see is, is not only is it speaking to uh, a specific office in the church in First Timothy 3, but if we broaden it as we, we can broaden it, not in the terms of an office, but in the terms of its function, we should see uh, that all of us, by God's grace, uh, should be deaconing, should be deacon, should be ministering. And so uh, the word literally means servant or minister. And, and behind it uh, is this idea of one that serves God by meeting various needs. So, so this morning, just to be clear, I'm going to be speaking both to the deacons of our church, whose names are listed in the takeaways this morning, but I'm also going to be speaking to everybody in this room, again, as, as we're God's servants, we're all God's ministers. And so if you're a Christian this morning, you should be committed to serving and ministering both to people in the context of our church and uh, people outside of our church as well. And, and before we dive in, the, the same presuppositions that I mentioned last week uh, should be imported to this week just with a few tweaks. And so and if you remember from last week, those presuppositions first was uh, that only Jesus qualifies perfectly as a deacon. Okay, that's presupposition one. When we come to this text, both last week and this week, we should see that it's only Christ who qualifies perfectly, right? We should examine these character traits and, and see even more perfectly, right? And Clark, in a moment ago, when he was doing the confession of sin and assurance of pardon, talked about how sight for Jesus is important, right? We should be able to look at these character traits, and, and it should help us by the Spirit of God, it should help us to see Jesus more clearly, right? We, we see Jesus in his humanity. We see him serve, right? 
We, we see that all over the New Testament and, and perhaps even the clearest picture of how well Christ served, how well Christ measured up to these qualities as a deacon um, is in what theologians call in his, his, his humiliation, his humiliation, which began at his incarnation, right? God in Christ Jesus condescended to us. He left heaven and he came down through the virgin birth, again, added humanity to his deity, and, and it progressed, that humiliation, that descent, if you will, that ultimately served us, this reconciling work, this redemptive work, uh, it, it culminated in his death and then into his burial as well. But we find a snippet of this in, in Philippians chapter 2. And you can, you can turn there if you want. I think that we have it up here on the screen. But we, we kind of see Christ functioning in this, this deacon capacity, if you will, really well here. Uh, Paul's writing to the church of, of Philippi, a local church, and he says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in, hu- in humility count others more significantly than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And then get this, he props up Christ here. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, right? He's saying this isn't something that we're striving as Christians to attain. This is something that in Christ, if you're a Christian, you possess, okay? And so he says, have this mindset, which is yours in Christ Jesus, right? It's yours because you share union with Christ, and this is the mindset of Christ. He goes on to expound on this. He says, who though he was in the form of God, okay, Jesus is God, he did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Right, so, so the charge to the, the church of Philippi in that passage here is, is to not only look to Christ as Savior, which we should look to Christ as Savior, right? But we, we shouldn't just look to Christ as the one that God exalted, according to verses 9 and 11, though we should look to him as the one that God exalted. But we we look at him as well as an example of how to deacon. We look to him as an example for how to serve. And, and we should know that we have the capacity to serve in a way that honors the Lord. Again, Paul mentions this uh, to the church of uh, Philippi and Philippians too. But we share union with Christ as Christians, we, and we have his Holy Spirit living inside of us. So, so only Jesus qualifies perfectly as a deacon. So we're to, we're to look to him, we're to depend on him, and we're to imitate him in our deaconing work. Okay, that, that's the first presupposition here. The second, and I've already mentioned it several times, is that not every person should hold the office of deacon, but every person should serve or minister to advance the kingdom of God. Okay, not every person should hold the office of deacon, but every Christian should serve and minister to advance the kingdom of God. So this passage is relevant to us 
in a few different ways, right? First, again, it should drive us to Jesus, the perfect deacon. Secondly, it teaches us that the character qualifications of an officer in the church um, are for all of us, uh, and it puts forward for us a vision uh, uh, to serve the Lord. And, and this word, diakonos, it's translated 27 times as servant or minister in the New Testament, and only four times that it's mentioned does it pertain to the actual office of deacon. And and that should be enough to give us this glimpse that we're all to be deacons, we're all to be ministers in our service to God and others. The the word is used more in that general sense, right? Deaconing work should be plentiful in the kingdom of God. Of God, But just a few passages on the usage of the word as we're seeking to understand it and familiarize ourselves with it that, that, that's not connected to the office of deacon. We see Jesus speaking to his disciples, Matthew chapter 20, verses 27 to 28. It says, he says, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. It's the same word there. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, which is the same word that's used to describe Jesus in the Philippians chapter 2 passage I read a moment ago. In verse 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. That's the, the, the verb form of the noun diakonos. He said, and it goes on to say, and give his life as a ransom for many. And then we have the familiar Romans chapter 13. We've looked at this several times over the course of the summer and the fall, but Paul giving, giving instructions about government uh, servants, government authorities. He says, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good and you'll receive his approval, for he is God's servant. Right? The same Greek word there. For your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant, there's that word again, of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Right? So, so to hold even public office right, is to deacon, is to serve or minister even in the civil sphere of things. Right? Now, now, some of us should serve as deacons in the context of the local church, which gets gets us back to what the Apostle Paul is talking about in 1 Timothy 3. And four times in the New Testament, we see that word used as it relates to the official office of deacon. It's always connected to the local church. Romans chapter 16, verse 1, and I'll revisit this in a moment. Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant, right? There's the Greek word there for deacon, of the church at Syncria. Syncria, that's a, which is a, a particular local church there. It says that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Right? So Paul commending this sister in Christ, Phoebe, as a deacon at a particular local church. Another place we see this Greek word connected to a particular local church is back in Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, the first two verses. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints, is the greeting here, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers, which are elders, and deacons, which is the same 
Greek word there that we've been looking at. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the other places are in our text here this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now, before we get to the, the character qualities, right? again, some of which overlap with what we looked at last week, I want to give kind of an overarching view of how we look at this particular text that will help, I think, us understand this passage of Scripture a little bit better. The, the breakdown, it seems, to, it seems to go like this. In verses 8 to 10, and then verse 12, it seems that the Apostle Paul is addressing male deacons. And I, and I think that that stems from the word likewise in verse 8. And then in verse 11... I think that we have the Apostle Paul addressing women who are deacons, but you see that translated there in the ESV, if that's the translation in front of you, as their wives likewise, which I'll explain more in a moment. And then in verse 13, he he closes with addressing all the deacons with with a particular promise, if you will. And, And if that breakdown is right... Okay, this is, if that breakdown is right, this is the flow of the text. Male deacons, 8 to 10. Women deacons, verse 11. Male deacons, verse 12. And all deacons, verse 13. And, and I admit that that flow of our text there may seem disjointed, but I think that we'll see that that's the most plausible breakdown as we work through the text more. But look back with me at verse 8. Look back with me at verse 8, because I, I want to reread Paul addressing the male deacons. I'm going to take us to verse 12, but we're also going to look at uh, Acts chapter 6 to show a difference in how deacons and elders function. Starting with verse 8 here, deacons likewise, okay, like the elders, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Okay, then we have verse 11, he addresses the women, and then back at the men in verse 12. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. Now, again, lots of overlap here between the qualifications of an elder and the qualifications of a deacon, um, but the difference, the, the main difference is, is in their actual roles, how they actually function. And just to give you a snapshot of a deacon functioning in the New Testament, flip over with me quickly to Acts chapter 6. I'm not going to read the account in its entirety, but look at the first four verses with me. Acts chapter 6, starting with verse 1 here. Again, this is, this is the physician Luke kind of documenting the growth and the expansion of the early church. If you're familiar with Acts, this is the historical account of the spread of the early church. Okay, So if you want to know our history, you want to know our first century roots as Christians, look to the book of Acts. It says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Verse 2, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of, wis- full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we'll devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Okay, this came at a time when the early church 
uh, was experiencing kind of its first growth, and it was growing rapidly if you're familiar with what was going on in church history at the time. And, and while this wasn't connected to a particular local church at this moment, we do see deaconing work uh, here, although this isn't the only thing that a deacon would do. And, and we see this organization or structure in its early stages as it related to how well the body of Christ is served when deacons and elders are functioning and fulfilling their God-assigned roles. There, there was a complaint that widows were being neglected in the benevolence and in the daily distribution of food. And, and we have the 12 disciples who needed to focus, according to this passage, on praying and on the ministry of the word. And so they, and, and they also realized that, that um, the, the widows, that it wasn't good for the widows to be neglected in the daily distribution. And so they were committed to both body and soul care uh, for the people that the Lord was entrusting to them. And so they appointed and, and they ordained several qualified men to serve the various physical needs of God's people. One of these men, uh, if, if, again, you know uh, your church history, one of these men was Stephen, who was the first Christian martyr, the first Christian uh, to have been executed uh, for his faith. And, and what we need to see here is that if elders and deacons are are lovers of God, and they're lovers of God's gospel, and they're committed to the building of his church by laboring in their respective roles, Christ will be exalted, and the gospel of grace will be evident to those that are being ministered to. Right? The, the local church really can provide um, care for body and soul. A Christ, uh, Christians have, have believed that God has made us both body and soul, and uh, according to God's Word, the church can help to provide uh, for physical needs, uh, absolutely, and even our biggest need, which is a spiritual need, which is that we need to uh, spiritually flourish in Christ. We need to be people that walk as forgiven people, reconciled to God because of Christ. And so functioning according to God's standards, and the reason it's important for us to see this, apart from the fact that we're going verse by verse in the book of 1 Timothy, is that we need to see that functioning according to God's standards matters. It produces that spiritual health. It produces that spiritual flourishing. But, but let's look at Paul's list, and, and as we do, we'll note some of the, the similarities between this week and last week. Go back with me to 1 Timothy 3. Start with verse 8. All right, we see that word, and, and I'm going to go through it kind of word by word, and there's some things I, I may end up neglecting here just because of the overlap, but we see Paul com, uh, say that the deacons must be dignified, dignified, right, which combines this idea of, of both gravity and dignity, right? There, there's a sound moral weightiness to the character of a deacon, right? The, the deacon much like the elder takes seriously uh, the application of God's Word, right? They're, they're not interested in just hearing the Word of God. They're interested in seeing the Word of God applied in their lives and seeing the Word of God applied to the, in the lives of those that they serve, right? The, the deacon isn't trite. The deacon is, isn't flippant about God. He's not flippant. She's not flippant about what God's Word requires, right? The deacon is dignified, and, and dignity is, is driven warmly by the Scripture. And so this would be an individual that spends time warming themselves by the fire 
of God's word. Not double-tongued is also what we see in verse 8, which is the antithesis of sincerity. It, it literally means to two-tell, to number two-tell. Right? And at the heart of this is this, this sinister desire to either tear down, to, to, uh, to undercut and to devour what it is that God's building, namely his church and his kingdom expansion here on earth as it is in heaven. That's, that's the worst case scenario or best case scenario, someone is two-tongued because they're a coward. Right, the, the Baptist Puritan, John Bunyan, and you may know him from uh, writing the allegory Pilgrim's Progress, but he has this section in the story when the main character, Christian, he, lives, uh, he leaves the town of Vanity Fair uh, for the celestial city, and he and his companion, Hopeful, and if you haven't read the book, you'd know that the names of everything are uh, obvious. Uh, don't, don't leave you guessing about what Bunyan is trying to tell you. Um, but he and his companion, Hopeful, they encounter a man named Byins uh, from the town of Fair Speech. And, and they learn about this man's family in the town of Fair Speech. This is who this man, Byins, was uh, related to. He was related to Lord Turnabout, was one of his relatives, one who would say he was going one way but then turn about. He would go the opposite way. He was also related to Lord Time Server, one who would change his views and opinions to fit the times. He was also related to Lord Fair Speech, one uh, who speaks kindly but hides deceit in his heart. He was also related to Mr. Smooth Man, one who says what people want to hear. He was also related to Mr. Facing Both Ways, one who holds contradictory views and opinions in an effort to please everyone. He was also related to Mr. Anything, one who believes that the ends justify the means. And then he was also finally related to Mr. Two Tongues, and and I think that Bunyan perhaps would have had this passage in mind with this. He was related to Mr. Two Tongues, who was the parson of the parish of the town, and he was one who would hide the truth and deceive people. He says one thing to some, and then he goes and he says the very opposite to other people. Right? Don't be Mr. Two-Tongue. Right? Don't, don't be uh, like one of Bayan's relatives from the town of Fair Speech. Right? The deacon and, and, and all of us as Christians should aim to be sincere. There should be sincerity. It's not that we're without sin. Right? None of us this side of eternity are without sin. Right? We look and put our trust in the only one who was without sin, the only one who was actually sincere, and we rest in his finished work for our salvation. Um, but there should be sincerity in the lives of deacons. There should be sincerity in the lives of all of us as Christians. We should want, want to walk um, honest about our profession of faith, and we should aim by God's grace and by the Spirit of God living in us to walk in a manner that confirms our profession of faith. We walk in sincerity. We're to be steadfast in what we confess. We should be trustworthy. We should be consistent. We should be courageous. And we see as well in verse 8, all right, not addicted to much wine. Right? We, 
We saw that uh, last week, so there's some overlap, so I'm not going to belabor the point, only to say that we can make gifts from God. We can turn gifts from God into enslaving idols, right? Um, One theologian speaks of our heart being this endless production, uh, this idol factory, if you will. And so even even, uh, things that aren't evil in and of themselves can become evil when we uh, become enslaved to them. And when we, uh, like I said last week, begin to think of things in terms of needs or demands or we're holding things close-fisted, we don't... And so not addicted to much wine. Not greedy for dishonest gain, which you could see overlap here when you you can take something and you can, again, turn it into an idol. But this would have been especially crucial for deacons if you are keeping in mind Acts chapter 6, where we saw that deacons were dealing with benevolence needs, right? It it would have required them to perhaps handle money. It, It certainly would have required them to handle food and material possessions, but they needed to be honest in their dealings with the physical welfare of people. And so, not greedy for dishonest gain. And then we see that Christians or that deacons should hold to the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. And we see that expression, mystery of the faith, used elsewhere uh, that I think is, is um, pointing us to Christ Jesus who is the mystery that's been revealed, right? This Old Testament, all the Old Testament messianic promises that were made um, find their culmination and their fulfillment in Christ Jesus. And so this mystery that had long been uh, hidden before the foundation of the earth, we see revealed ultimately in the person of Jesus being that uh, redeeming Messiah, the only redeeming Messiah, the only way to be right with God. Deacons hold to that mystery of faith with a clear conscience. The deacon is to have a solid grasp on the Christian faith. And that doesn't mean Bible scholar. It means that a deacon is thoroughly settled in that mystery of faith, namely, again, that Christ is the long-awaited for Messiah, right? So if you want God, you must go through Christ. If you want to be made right with God, you go through Jesus Christ. There's no other way to the Father except through the Son, John 14, 6. And then we see, verse 10, that they should be tested, which is similar last week to not being a recent convert, and they're to prove themselves blameless, which is this similar charge to being above reproach that we looked at last week. And then we see in verse 12, again related to the men here, husband of one wife managing their children and households well. Right? We, we see a charge of, of fidelity to one's spouse, and this warm managing of the home testifies to the beauty of Christ in his gospel, and that being a must in the lives of elders and deacons. Again, this isn't perfection, but this is, uh, think of it in terms of a a conscious uh, effort of uh, depending upon the Lord and walking in the Spirit in such a way that the overarching trajectory of your home heralds well Christ and heralds well Christ's gospel should be the aim of of elders, that should be the aim of deacons, that should be the aim of Christians. Now look at verse 11, because we see character qualities addressed to women specifically. And this is where I'm going to spend the bulk of the rest of our time this morning. And again, depending on your translation, but if, I'm reading up here from the English Standard Version. It says, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded faithful in all things. Now, 
the, the first thing I, w- I want us to see is that the character traits here for women, I would say, correspond to those character traits that are given to men here. Right? You see dignified like men. You see not slanderers, which corresponds to not being double-tongued. You see a sober-mindedness here, which is the remedy for slandering, and it's also the counter to drunkenness. You see faithful in all things, right? Not greedy or filthy for dishonest gain. They're trustworthy is what we see here. Paul's mentioning many of the same character qualifications for the women that he did for the men, but I want to spend a little time on what's obvious to us. Again, the ESV uh, uses the phrase, their wives. Now, this was an interpretive decision on behalf of the, the translators of the ESV, and I want to spend some time on this because I want us to see that the New Testament does open up the office of deacon uh, to women, unlike the office of elder. The problem here is that, that I think many churches, and many churches, the office of deacon and elder get conflated. Okay, that's where the problem, I think, often is. The, these are two distinct offices and two distinct functions in the church, right? You can go back and read Acts chapter 6 for that. You can do a New Testament word study for that. You can read how the two offices have function in church history to give yourselves a better picture. But in verse 11, where we see their wives, in the Greek there, there's no definitive article. The word, that means the word their isn't there. Okay, the word there isn't there. That's not too hard to follow, right? But the, the word translated here as wives can also and is oftentimes translated as women here. So I, I think this would have been uh, translated to the church of Ephesus in this way. Women, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Another reason I think that this is the case is because of the context. It's not just because of the words themselves, but it's because of the context. If we're just depending on words, I I could see where we may see it a different way, but even the context lends itself to addressing women. If, If we took the view that Paul in our deacon passage is speaking to the wives of deacons, Right? And, and, and we've already established how he's repeated himself in this passage as it relates to both elders and deacons. Why would he not charge character qualifications for the wives of elders in last week's passage? Right? If elders are charged with shepherding the church, why would, he, why would Paul not include a charge about the character of an elder's wife, but include a charge about the character of a deacon's wife, especially when Paul has no problem repeating himself to the deacons on instructions that he's given to the elders. I think it's because Paul, again, isn't speaking about the wives of deacons. I don't think that's what this passage is saying. He's speaking about women who are deacons. The office of deacon is open to women. The, The third reason that I think that this is the case is because of a passage that I've already read to you, which is Romans chapter 16, verse 1, when the Apostle Paul commends, he says, I commend our sister Phoebe, a servant, and he connects that, um, that to uh, Sincrea, the, a, a particular local church. He connects the deacon here, uh, that Greek word for deacon, to a particular local church, and he says, welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, Help her in whatever she may need from you, for she's been a patron of mine, of many, and of myself as well. 
So so we have in the Greek the verse more than likely reading women likewise must be, right? We have the context that I think lends itself to that interpretation. We have a New Testament passage with a sister in Christ, Phoebe, who served, seemed to serve as a deacon of a particular church. So, So we at Deer Park Fellowship believe that the office of deacon is open to women, and we have women who serve in this capacity. Now look at the the last verse as we I want, to, I want to spend just a few minutes on this. Because there's a promise here to all deacons, okay? And so we we had he addresses he addresses men, right? He addresses um uh women and then he addresses men again and then he addresses them all with this promise. He says for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that's in Christ Jesus. A man or a woman who serves the Lord as a deacon, who who serves tables as we see in Acts chapter 6, does so before the face of God as someone that is appointed by God. And it's pleasing to God and it's loving to God's church, to God's bride to serve in this way, to do it faithfully, fully mindful of how God in Christ served you in such a way that it led to you being reconciled. The service of Christ was redemptive. And so as deacons, and again, broadening this out, if all of us are servants and ministers, we should be serving other people in such a way that it, it um, smells of the aroma of Christ Jesus. We should be serving people in such a way that uh, it is redemptive, that it is driving people to Jesus, who is, is the only one worthy uh, and the only one capable of paying for their sins. He was the only one worthy, the only one capable to pay for your sins and to pay for my sins. And so the way in which we serve matters because the way in which we serve should be pointing people to Christ Jesus. And those who serve well as deacons here, we see this promise gain this good standing for themselves. There's this, this mindfulness again, this stewardship mindfulness that they're going to stand before God fully justified in Christ Jesus. There's nothing that you can do to, to make that any better, right? But you're going to stand before God one day as a steward of all that he's entrusted to you as a servant or minister of Christ. And, uh, and the way in which we serve, those who serve well, although you won't serve perfectly, should look forward to that day. The second thing that you see here, you see great confidence in the faith that's in Christ Jesus. And, and I don't know about you, but I've found that when, I'm, when the Lord gives me an opportunity to serve other people in whatever capacity that is, there's something about that that brings me joy, right? There, there's something about that that should uh, increase your faith and your love of God, and it should soften you and warm you toward other people, right? Some of the most embittered, calloused, Angry people are people that are focused on their self, they're focused on their problems, and they're isolated from the people around them, right? That's the complete antithesis of what a servant or minister is supposed to be, right? A servant or a minister is supposed to be someone who's, who's mindful of all that God is for us in Christ Jesus by the Spirit of God and is able to discern the body of Christ, which means we're to be around one another uh, and 
We should be looking for opportunities to be able to serve each other and then to be able to go out of this building as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to be able to serve others well in a way that says, Merry Christmas, Jesus is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and he came and he humbled himself 2,000 years ago, and he purchased uh, your salvation with his life and his death and his resurrection, and one day he's going to return again as the great judge be found as someone who's in Christ Jesus. As we herald that, as we serve people in that way, meeting both physical and and spiritual needs, as, as we are committed to that ourselves, the Lord for us, a result of that is an increasing in our confidence. Not in and of ourselves, but in this, what the Apostle Paul calls, tells Timothy elsewhere, uh, confidence in the good deposit that we've all been entrusted with. The good deposit being the gospel of God. So a few takeaways for us this morning. First is, look to your union with Christ. And this is in your worship, God. Look to your union with Christ to empower your serving. And look to Christ is your example for how to serve. Right again, we want to serve with a redemptive aroma. Secondly, we should all be deaconing. We should all be serving or ministering where the Lord gives us opportunity. And so ask the Lord to, to make you aware of various needs that are around you. Three, don't confuse the office of elder with deacon, right? That's, that is what is behind most of our misinterpretations as it relates to um, this passage of Scripture. Four, the office of elder is for qualified men. The office of deacon is for qualified men and women, right? And, and these are the only offices, the only two offices in, that the New Testament knows of. Every other office that you ever hear about came much later after uh, the, the closed canon of Scripture, And then fifth, pray for our officers who labor as deacons in our local church. I gave you their names, Josh and Ashley Hazel, Jeff Williams, and Peggy Hazel. Pray for them uh, and and, and come alongside of them and ask them uh, if there are some areas that they're they're laboring in here in which they may need help with. And, And so... Ashley spends a lot of time with our music ministry amongst a bunch of other things that she does around here. Josh spends a lot of time uh, building, doing our multimedia presentations. Jeff Williams serves both uh, as a small group leader, but he also oversees our security here. And, and Peggy, in addition to be, being one of the elders' wives, serves uh, to help make this place hospitable, warm, and inviting through various ways, including decorating. And so get, get around them and, and talk to them about different ways that you can help them uh, serve. And with that being said, why don't we go to the Lord in prayer, and then we're going to move into a time of taking the Lord's Supper together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you, Lord, for... Um, for seeking us, for saving us, Lord. We thank you that we could gather here this morning. And Lord, we ask that you would, God, help to help us to honor you, Lord, with the, the way that we think, Lord, the things that we say, and in the way that we serve, Lord. Help us to put to death our own selfish ambitions, God, so that we can freely love you and love other people. 
And Lord, we give you all the praise and we give you all the glory. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Like I said, this is a time where we take the Lord's Supper.